I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. So welcome, Samantha, to the Listen In podcast. It's great to have you here with us today. I'm super happy to be joining you. When I first uh, saw your an article that you wrote on communication, I saw your name and I thought, you have got a really cool name, Samantha Slade. Sounds like something that should be in a book, and you actually wrote a book. <laughs> yes, but it is not a detective book because some people think my, my name sounds like a detective. It's a business book. <laughs> it's a business book. Okay. <laughs> so why don't, why don't we dive in first there? Tell me a little bit about your, your business book because it's a little bit different than your typical business book. Yes, and I'm really glad it's actually positioned in the business section in bookstores. Um, it's called Going Horizontal and I really wrote it because I saw that so many or people were really um, curious, interested, and desiring for to find new ways for organizations in the workplace to function. And that there was a lot of um, people who were there really from an intellectual space, really understanding it and reading books about it from a heart space, really desiring it. But the conf- there was a lot of confusion about how to get there. And I wrote a book for that around the house. So it's a really practical book, seven accessible, easy doorways of entry into functioning from a less hierarchical, more horizontal leadership mindset. And it's about a path of practice. So you don't have to get there right away. It's about really understanding that the, these are habits and reflexes and that we need to let go of some and replace them with new ones. Yeah, I hear a lot of people who aren't quite happy, let's say, or recognize the some of the difficulties of the current, you know, organizational structures, or they have ideas in mind that they'd like to see more engagement, they'd like to see, you know, motivation get up, they'd like to have more creative ideas, innovation, whatnot. And yet to create the idea sounds good, but to actually put it into practice is often a challenge. Like, how does that actually work? <laughs> And like you said, it's probably something that doesn't happen right away. Right. And it's just even just understanding it as something that, you know, shifting the structure is one thing, but people won't come to work differently on Monday morning because there's a new organizational Mm -hmm. chart. There's a there's a fundamental shift that happens inside a person that starts to understand the world differently and starts looking at personal leadership is for everyone and it's starting to look at power as something that has a, there's abundance and is looking at permission culture versus proposal culture. There's all sorts of things we start seeing and noticing as we enter into this shift and it's for everybody. And so even somebody who wants to shepherd in a new system, they are also part of the system and need to accept changing even themselves. So it starts with themselves, mm-hmm. with a person's self. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's kind of go back in time a little bit. You know, before the book 
what would you say was um, the moment that this shift started to happen for you? Yeah, there's like multiple layers in that answer. I mean, my background is uh, anthropology. So I come from, I would call it, it's a, it's a profession of listening, right? So I've always engaged with the world of being in it and having a step away from it and looking at what's going on. So listening to, to how we're choosing to function. 14 years ago, I, I stepped out of my government job at the time and started Percolab, which is a company that really sets itself up as a lab to experiment different ways of functioning. And in there, I started noticing that it, you could you can want things to change and be different, but you need to get really explicit about them and to be able to accept to get into the messy, vulnerable place of learning. And we jumped in as a company, but I jumped in as a person into that. And the book, at one point, it's like I've been coding, codifying the different practices that I was seeing as such simple, basic learnings that are common to us as how we function as human beings. They're not really alien to us. That's why they feel natural and we almost don't notice them because they're so part of who we are as human beings. And then somehow in the workplace, we got lost and disconnected from it. So at one point, I was just noticing that it's about reconnecting with healthy ways that are natural for us as human beings. And once I started having that insight, just things started unraveling and I could see things with a lot of simplicity. And from there, the writing came. I love that. Healthy, natural ways. You know, it's like getting back to ourselves, reconnecting to ourselves, but within an organizational system structure also. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting about the book is it, it really focuses on organizations, but it breaks down the boundary of work is over here in one box and personal life is over here in another box. It's about um, living together as human beings in different contexts. So we can play with the different contexts because we are showing up as ourselves in all of the different contexts that we navigate with in a regular week in our lives. And we can use a safe space to practice something new in one context and get and develop our skill set and then move on to um, a different context, transpose that to a different context that might have a little bit of higher risk with it. Can you give me an example? So I can practice with my husband at home something and then practice just uh, making proposals around things or, or having a difficult conversation and how to have a question and invite somebody into a difficult conversation. I could practice that nearly even name to him that I'm practicing that and then go and uh, bring that into the work world and vice versa. There's something I can practice in the work world and go, oh my God, at work we just learned how to do this really great thing about having a trigger log and when there's an issue and that I'm actually triggered on something, we just write it down and we host each other for three minutes about it. Can we try it at home? So this idea of learnings from one context can really transfer into another. Yeah, I love that. You know, you mentioned the word earlier. I think you said things can get messy, you know, and vulnerable. So being okay with things getting messy, it's not something that we do perfectly from the onset. Well, I mean, my my background's also in education. And one of the things that is assumed or understood in the education world is that deep learning hurts. If it's deep learning, it shouldn't be comfortable and easy. Real paradigm shifting is meant to be um, challenging. That's why it's paradigm shifting. And what I notice is um, with the horizontal leadership 
paradigm as people enter into it and really start seeing it there's a there's a little pain point where you can actually become self-aware of places where you might have been showing up in ways that are contradictory to your own belief system and that can that can hurt for a moment I know I had that as I came into my own real like anchoring and awareness of how I walk my daily life trying to be practicing horizontal leadership and then you I realized places where I was like, oh, there was really terrible or there it was terrible. So there's a part of being kind to yourself um, and acknowledging that, that there's, this, there's a deep work in here. It's not superficial work. How would you, for, for someone who's never heard the word horizontal leadership before, um, how would you describe that to someone new in this field of, or this idea of horizontal well, it's really looking at each other, um, another human being, as in equivalence with the, in one another. So it's not because a, a one person might have a status or, or a job function or a role or works on strategy or has expertise in a specific domain, that they have authority over us or are better than us. So just really showing up as equal human beings. And that's how we show up in our personal life with our friends. We're not like one friend dominates another or has authority over the other. It's very natural for us to show up in equivalence as human beings. But when we get into the workplace, it seems that there gets to be a lot of confusion around that. And we set up these hierarchical structures where there when we have to start asking permission for to do something that would be absolutely natural. And all of a sudden your pen doesn't work anymore and you've got to ask to get a different pen. And like these nonsensical things get set up where not only are we seeing each other in equivalence, but we're learning to trust each other and human beings so we can each be in our best potential. And I say that with full awareness of all the complexity of human beings. And that doesn't mean a naive trusting. That means a conscious trust. Yeah. Yeah, we are a little bit complex. And also, even when we know things or we see things, to actually put things into practice or see, you know, what we can do to, you know, adapt or change our patterns or try things differently. It's a little bit harder. What you said, it can hurt sometimes, right? That deep learning piece that's, uh, that's uh, not as easy as what we think it should be or at least as easy as it is in our minds. And when I talked to my dad about this, he's, he's really interesting because he said he um, was promoted in his career to national manager and he was expected to show up and tell people, this is how it's done. You're going to do it this way. If you don't do it this way, there'll be consequences. And he was like trying to put on that coat and be the manager in the way that was expected of him to be, which, is, which was very not looking at people and trusting them and being their own potential. It was really telling them what to do. And he didn't like it. He hated it. He got sick from doing it. And he had to quit his job and even his career because he just was allergic to functioning like that. And when I look and I hear in, in his story, what I really hear is he believes in human beings. And so he was unable to do this kind of command and control way of functioning with, with human beings as he was successful in his job, then that was what was expected of him, strangely enough. You know, I was thinking about startups that are growing very fast, right? And so you just have a few people and then all of a sudden it doubles and triples in a short period of time. And you have people managers or people maybe who start off not as people managers, but they have to become people managers. And, you know, I'm not sure if you've had experience working with businesses who want to try to work horizontal that are scaling and growing at a pace 
that you're in constant, probably deep learning. It's one of the really interesting places because startups, um, when they are small, everybody's chatting to everybody, making decisions together, being in strong relationship together, because it's really easy to do in a small group. And then once you pass a threshold of a certain number, you're being invited into either functioning in a hierarchical way or a horizontal way. And people aren't aware that they've actually come across an option space. And we just go into this default way of functioning hierarchically because that's what we're, we know, that's what we, we're told, that's what's professional and you want to set up a, like a proper business. And um, that's painful because there's a pain of letting go of what people were really enjoying about the proximity, uh, the contact, the conversation, the group dynamic that was really flowing. And all of a sudden people are, have to set up some kind of uh, structure that has a pyramid in it. But the idea is you don't have to. There are other ways of functioning and we really need to start talking about them and sharing stories around it and just trying things out and learning from one or other who are doing it. There are other ways of doing it. When you look at where you are now, what you've discovered about this process of horizontal business compared to when you first started, you know, 14 years ago, where you kind of got going on this idea, what would you say is your, your biggest learning or what you've noticed what you know now that you may not have noticed back then? Oh, yeah. So I had not a clue coming into this, the importance of um, our capacity to listen. That if we can't get that figured out, it's really hard to be working with a bunch of people with um, deliverables, budgets, stresses, different perspectives, opinions, daily pressures, to get all of that going in a way that is uh, functioning from a place of care with all the movement and all the pressure, if we don't have um, some basic skills of listening. It feels like it's the cornerstone piece. It's, uh, it's the elements that I think I just underestimated it. And I know, like I even went through like many businesses as we, we move forward in trying to function together in, in more um, caring and collaborative ways. We trip up and we have our, our, our stories and our wounds. And um, in my story, there's a moment where definitely we're trying to be together and hear each other and there's tensions and conflicts flying around and we didn't have a collective capacity to listen well. And I realized at that point that you couldn't just, in a moment of conflict and crisis, it wasn't the moment to try and learn the capacity to listen well. It's something that we needed to have as a regular organizational practice so that when those moments of crisis arrived, we could deal with them in a way that still was fully horizontal and caring. How do you develop listening in your organization or with organizations that you work with? What are some ideas or ways that might help some of our listeners know how, how to do that um, in this type of context? So, I mean, we have some core practices at um, our organization, Percolab Co-op, that um, we, we don't even notice them anymore until we have guests regularly come to our team meetings and we give them a little heads up that it, we function from this other way and just to join in. And uh, they always finish with like, wow, this is how 
we want to be functioning. And so some of the, the, the protocols we would use in there, a foundational one is uh, we call silent wit witnessing. And um, it's my friend and colleague, Bria Beck, who really helped me uh, get clear on that. The idea that um, sometimes human beings just want to be seen and heard. So if I have something that I want to say, it doesn't necessarily mean that I want to have a conversation, that I want to have your words of sympathy, commentary, uh, offers of help. It's not always that that's appropriate. So sometimes if we can have a way of having everyone have a go around and just speak what's alive for them, and then just let that hover in the center. It doesn't have to be resolved or commented or discussed. It's a way of everybody feeling seen and heard and staying in organizational efficiency because, in fact, it doesn't take that long. That skill set is it becomes a practice, but it helps us. The silence and the quiet allows us to go into our deeper wisdom. So we're the whole space of knee-jerk reactions or whatever is going on, each individual is invited in to deal them with them themselves in real time. And so we're given real space for the person's words to be heard. So the other day, for example, we were having a, I wrote about this in my article, we were having a group decision about moving our office to a new place um, in the COVID context. And it was a painful decision for me because I was the founder of the co-working that we'd been working in for 10 years. And I was totally on board with the decision to move. It made perfect business sense. But you can see how there might be a little bit more pain for somebody who had actually founded the co-working. Um, and so by having knowing that we had a protocol in place, place that I could speak my pain without having everybody start coming in, well, Samantha, I didn't want to be consoled. I didn't want it to be discussed, but I did want to be heard. So I took a minute or two just to speak to that. And then the, the the meeting continued and I was I was heard. And so in in groups and organizations, um, I notice that one person speaks and it's straight away it like bounces and ping pongs around and then that you you go down rabbit holes and they're not productive and they're not even caring all, necessarily all the time. So nuancing when is when do we need conversation? which is conversation, and when do we need to just have some silent witnessing? Being able to nuance between those two is a fundamental skill that I think we need to have in our organizations. Yeah, that's um, that can be really, really powerful. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes people might think, oh, there's not, you know, well, we don't have time for that. You know, everybody's just going to talk. But that's actually not true it, sometimes. Um, but in general, you know, I found that if people have a chance to speak something out, then it kind of takes the pressure off so that we can move on to the next step, take things in another direction or in the direction that we need to go. And I think that if you're not heard and you haven't been witnessed by other people and something that's really important for you, it can fester and you can hold back. Like if I hadn't have shared my um, you know, emotional two minutes about letting go of the old office. I wonder how I would be showing up in the move to the new office. Would I have been grumpy about it? Would I have held back about it? Like, I know there's all these other kind of negative little things that happen. Well, they're all cleared. It's, it's when I say it's very, I'm very clean inside about the shift because I had two minutes. Now, if you think about it, two minutes, that's nothing. If you think about all the dysfunctionalities I could have put in the net 
I'm just curious when you think about, you know, everybody being seen and heard, mm-hmm. you know, there's some people who mm-hmm. like to hide, right? <laughs> um, or at least at first, sometimes being seen is also uncomfortable. And I'm thinking particularly about younger, you know, professionals that are, are still maybe a little bit more insecure in, in where they where they stand and, and their experience and whatnot. Do you have some thoughts on how to support people who may feel uncomfortable being seen and heard and some ideas on that. Yeah, I really do think that that this is a key piece on inclusion. And I mean, horizontal leadership is about inclusion, right? So this is why I talk about having protocols. And when I say protocol, it's something very light, but what it's doing is it's protecting the space of inclusion. So for example, when we have a consent-based decision-making, there's a round of reactions around it. And the reaction round is just like speak what's in your heart and in your mind and in your belly and like say it out so everybody knows. And we know there's going to be no consequence for what you've spoken, right? So people need to, to uh, one, understand and actually witness that there is no consequence. If there's consequences, it's not going to happen, right? Because um, you can only speak up if it truly is safe to speak up, right? So let's just, let's just say that's already established. Having the protocol, I, what I notice is sometimes we get to somebody and they're like, no, I, I mean, I'm fine. I don't need to speak right now. At that point... If we really care about hearing that person's voice, then we need to say we really care about understanding where you're at. So if the person begins to hear that others genuinely care about hearing their perspective, then with time, they will start sharing their perspective. So like the the no consequences or repercussions of it, and then understanding people do genuinely care and saying it like that. It's not like, well, you have to do a reaction because that's the protocol and the rule. So that sounds very aggressive and not caring. So how to be inviting in the perspectives of somebody who's not used to uh, giving their perspective. And I really think there's something in here, you know, we can even go into the idea of trauma-informed workplaces, right? Like everybody has their stories and we don't know where people are coming from. That's right. Or even with their parents, how they grew up in communication. In Percolab, where we have like a really strong listening culture and we have really clear, explicit protocols. Still, when a person comes in, I see it takes nine months for them to shift into being able to authentically share. Interesting. Yeah. And here you have a listening organization, right? And you're also working more horizontally. And I'm thinking about you know, in a meeting that's supposed to be giving critique so that someone can work on the project to take it further. And then if someone comes in asking from a, who has a higher position and asking the typical, you know, executive questions, why and what and how and all that, but in a way that's with an agenda, um, then the person being critiqued doesn't have a chance to actually explore and think about how they can improve their project because that defense mechanism will kick in if someone's just asking some of those questions. I sometimes wonder if when people have certain positions, if they have, they have this feeling um, of expectation that certain questions have to be asked because that's the role I'm in, you know, perhaps creating a listening culture like you talked about, you can still make decisions, you can make inclusive decisions in a way that's not based on your role and type of questions you're expected to ask. I don't know if that makes any sense. 
when I when I hear underneath of what you're talking about, it's like we 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 think we have a way of functioning, and so we've got like questions, answers, questions, answers. It's very like linear thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And in in listening, right. it it feels to me sometimes it's circular thinking. And I think of an example this week where I was with a group. Uh, it was an executive group of about eight or nine people, and somebody was. I'm wondering if I should be making this decision here or or elsewhere, and like. Where, where is the best place to be making that decision? So somebody asked like a fumbling question of not being sure about something, right? And we could have gone to like um, grilling her and all sorts of different things around it, right? But you could hear she's trying to figure something out. What I'm sensing, she's trying to make a wise choice and it's unclear for whatever reasons, which means it's probably connected with a whole bunch of other things going on and there's a complexity related to it. So we just went straight away into the protocol of like, let's just hear what's coming up for each person with a go around. Nobody gets to comment it. We're not going into conversation. We're just in each person's perspective. And which also meant that there was two people with more, I would say, um, power in the room. They have an equal voice to everybody else. And so by naming that we're going to do the protocol, everybody realized that each and every single person was being invited to speak up. Each person went around and then I went back to the original person who initially thought she, it was a Q&A and she had to answer. And I was like, no, let's just listen to the different perspectives that are in the room. And then when I went back to her and said, is there anything becoming clearer for you now? And then she spoke to like a different layer of becoming clearer. And I said, should we do a second round? Yes. So we did a second round. And by the end of that, it became absolutely clear what was needed to be done and where the decision needed to be made. And and we were, and she was like, well, and everybody was on board. It was simple. It it was clear, it was fluid, it was enlivening, it was caring, it was efficient. And how long did that take? Maybe a half hour. (laughs) And what we did is we managed to unravel, I would say it's some organizational spaghetti. (laughs) So it wasn't just the questions she asked, but also other layers that helped all of you. Yeah, because basically her question was on, I would call it an um, an acupressure point for the organization. It was touching a whole bunch of unsaid stuff that had been going on for like a long time. And it was daring to go into that space. That's why it was being asked in a way that was a little bit, um, you know, wasn't fully clearly articulated, wasn't quite sure where it was going. Well, if you're, if you're a good listener, then what you know is, ooh, that's an exploration into a place of inquiry into a place that has complexity. So let's deal with not just some, you know, back and forth Q&A grilling. Let's give some spaciousness, some listening spaciousness to really go into um, understanding what's going on and finding clarity. Yeah. And what I love about that example is that there was a question and then you just went through to, to each person. People could say what, whatever was coming up for them in that moment. And then asking the person who asked the question, are you clear, you know, or maybe she spoke about where, where she was at that moment. Um, but to ask, do you want another round? Maybe she would have been okay, but, but that next round was needed, obviously. And that took things also to another, another level, not only for her, but for everyone else. It sounds so simple what I just tell Sherry yeah. there, right? Like it's a really simple listening practice. There is an element of confused inquiry to which instead of jumping into solutions or I know or do you know or all of that stuff, which is just so much of our, of our practice, is just to surface each person's 
perspective at that point or questions or their own thoughts and thinking and and trust that the collective intelligence will take us one step further and maybe we need to do it a second round because now it surfaced all the stuff that's that's interconnected there's um here when i talk about the trust in horizontal leadership mm-hmm. there's a trust in that process there's a trust in the collective intelligence of human beings yeah oh that's beautiful I was just thinking I, I would it would be so wonderful for more leaders to experience that, to be able to trust that process. You know, I think we just haven't experienced that, that type of way to make decisions or to get clear about things for the organization. It doesn't happen very often. Someone sent me an email that was working and training a group. And what came up there is that the saying in, in German, it's called, uh, is Max. so, you know, talking is power, right? And, um, mm. So they were struggling with where does power go if we're not talking, you know, or how does that work? (laughs) What happens with power? But it's a different type of power that happens. You're talking about a collective power and what you described. Yeah. 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 It, It really is like a letting go of trying to convince others or have the answer. Mm -hmm. It's really coming from a place of, Hey, maybe, maybe together we can figure this out. Yeah. Which, you know, isn't that normal and good and healthy? Maybe together we can figure this out. Yeah. Even though a lot of times figuring it out, people are thinking about discussing and ends up more like a ping pong game or a tennis game than than what you're talking about in terms of it's not just about one person, but it's creating a, a space for the answer to be found. Yeah. And even the answer, the answer could be, you know, something for now to try out to get even further clarity. And maybe the answer is just sharpening um, a question that we're all trying to figure out together. So since you've published your book, and I'm sure a lot of people have talked to you, and I know that you work with a lot of organizations, I'm just curious, um, what are some of the questions that come up most often that others are asking you? So people don't ask questions about neither listening or how we're working with time. And I think the two interconnect. So there's a whole bunch of assumptions out there. So people sometimes are asking me, how do I open up to, to like um, a project, an idea, a decision wider than I usually do? So a desire to be more participatory and inclusive, right? And the question is usually loaded without creating chaos, without wasting time, without creating conflict. You can hear how loaded it is, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, in it is what I hear is a little bit what you just said. People haven't had lived experience of being in open uh, collective spaces that have protocols of good listening and working with time. Hmm. And those two things, they're like the secret sauce that can, can um, really allow an organization to have much more open participatory collaborative ways of functioning. So for example, when we run team meetings, we uh, allow a co- for co-created agenda. So each person puts a point on the agenda. And then we ask people to identify two things when you put a point on the agenda. One is you identify what you're expecting other people in the room for during your point. And so we have four categories. So I'm expecting people to silently listen. I'm expecting people to give me input and I will be listening to them. 
I expect all of us to be working together and diving in together, or I expect us to be working towards making a decision together on this point, which means if I haven't said that, there will be no decision making on this point. So see, here are the expectations that are in there and how hear how listening shows up, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then the second piece we ask you to say, if you have a point for the agenda, is how much time of the collective time would you like to be taking for your point? Oh, that's how interesting. How much time of the collective time would you like to be taking for your point? So looking at time as a commons and asking people to start thinking consciously of how much time of, every, of all this that we have that I would like for my point. And then, and then when it comes to your point, you're the one who holds it. You have the process for it. You're accountable to the time that you've actually set for yourself. And everybody already knew, knows what you're asking of them because you've identified the category. So we're bringing heightened consciousness um, around time, around listening, around process, even before we're getting to the point, which is, it's so simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yet, and yet we don't do it. So people think, oh, how can I get more collaborative and how can we have more participatory processes? There are really light protocols that are so flow giving. They allow the flow and productivity to happen um, in a way that can be collective and work with time efficiently. And even in this, this meeting example that, I, that I'm giving you, what happens in it, because you, we start working more consciously together, when somebody's getting to the end of their time point, I could hear somebody and I'm like, oh my God, they've almost landed a point. They need three more minutes probably. And it's such a, like, an important thing. I can all of a sudden go, I'm going to gift you three minutes from my, my point. And we start gifting time to each other. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> everybody is aware that this meeting is 60 minutes or 90 minutes or 120 minutes, whatever. And we're all working to be able together. We're holding the responsibility to finish it on time. We're not going so-and-so went over their point and like complaining about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. We're really approaching it as a shared responsibility. Wow. I'm blown away. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Nice. And so simple. And so simple. You know, that's sometimes we, we like to make things complicated, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this, these are my discoveries as, you know, uh, going horizontal came out and, uh, we, you know, we continue to work as a lab space and try things out. We had worked with sister companies around the world who were trying things out. We work with clients and organizations that we accompany to actually embed horizontal leadership more strongly within them. We offer trainings, we do all sorts of things, right. Mm-hmm. But the whole time and listening piece is what comes up over and over and over again and it's not anything people are asking for it's definitely a blind spot so the listening and the time those are part of the secret magic potion which um it's only secret because maybe it's it's not so visible they're subtle but very powerful partners in the process when you sense into the future you know we looked a little bit back into into time now let's go into future, into the future. If you sense into the future, what do you sense about the direction that this type of work is going? Well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky questions are around the future these days. And my hypothesis is if we're really going to have a future that works for all, um, it, it's going to involve uh, figuring out how to work together better in ways that have both 
the care and the productivity. So I really think we need to figure this out and the listening piece is key to that. One of the things that we've we've done is we've developed a game for go for horizontal leadership and it's just a card game, uh, a game in which you tell just small stories from your daily life, either recent past or upcoming future. And we put it out there as just as a way for um, people to be engaging in the, you know, everybody's in the virtual world these days. So how to have this game and you can go online and play with people that you know or don't know from across the planet or next door. And we really put it out there for helping people understand what horizontal leadership is. And what's came back to us over and over and over and over and over again is, oh, my gosh, this is a listening game. I'm learning to listen with this game. Oh, oh. And then people going, wow, I really, it feels good to listen to others, to be listened to, and it's making me aware of the importance of listening. So having that awareness uh, grow is something that I think is really key because the world is, uh, there's a real shift to binary thinking that's not a shift, it's, um, it's a problem that's growing right now in binary thinking. And so how do we work with the multiple perspectives that are out there? How do we really develop our curiosity and openness to understand the perspective of the other without um, falling into this judgment and binary thinking space that's not um, taking us anywhere positive? A challenge for humanity as we move forward is what I would say. (laughs) To practice these skills in a way that's fun also you know th- this is the game piece that you brought in right there's mm-hmm, ways mm-hmm. to practice and play and still learn and develop skills that are going to be critical to you know, i mean they're critical now but will become even more critical in the future yeah and uh, i mean we all know that with uh, ai and whatnot what's going to be more m- most important to, are the skills that really make us human and those of curiosity and care and um, and inquiry, those are empathy and compassion. These are these are are what we need to um, look at as our strengths and what we need to get better at. I love your examples, and I love the work that you're doing and the energy that you bring in to um, all of this and you know, to even break it down to something so simple as time and listening, even though <laughs> that's also <laughs> easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I just want to thank you for being here. And, I, and I'm sure that our listeners would love to read your book on going horizontal. And that's both in English and French. Is that right? Yep, and soon in uh, Portuguese too. In Portuguese too. Oh, nice. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, and it was really a pleasure to have you. It was a real delight uh, to be with somebody who takes listening to heart, and uh, here's hoping that we all start seeing ourselves as listeners and uh, and honoring our, our already existing skills as listeners. Yeah. And, and I hope that more people get to experience what, what your team experiences. If we can have more of that, then, uh, then we got it going. Yeah, absolutely. I'm your host, Raquel Arp from Listening Alchemy. 
And I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in. Thank you.